Man, I'm so glad to be here in Cyprus. Uh, this, my wife and I live here, and our, our kids, and so I actually forgot something at home, and I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? And I was like, oh yeah, I'll just drive the minute that it takes to get to my house to go and, and get it. Uh, we love Cyprus. It's where we've lived for uh, many years now. And, uh, somebody asked recently, you know, like, why another church in Cyprus? So many great churches, and, and that's totally true. Uh, last week, we, last weekend, I, I set up Christmas lights. You know, I'm a big big Christmas light person, and uh, so I was out setting up Christmas lights, and I got the whole thing. I got the different kinds of light bulbs. I got the mismatched colors because I think that's classy, and, and, uh, <laughs> and so uh, set them up. Uh, the next morning, I wake up, and someone in our neighborhood had come and, and, and stolen about 30 of the light bulbs, you know, just unscrewed them. They had left the, the light strand, but they had unscrewed the light bulbs, and I'm like, see, that's why Cypress, Texas needs more churches because people are still in... <laughs> Christmas lights, for goodness sake. I mean, that strand was like a dollar, and who would, I mean, it was harder work to, to unscrew them than to go to the store and buy your own. And so as long as people are still stealing light bulbs in Cypress, Texas, we will still be starting churches in Cypress. Uh, but uh, man, so, so glad that you're here. Why don't you take your Bible and turn to the Psalms, Psalm 62, Psalm 119. I love Christmas. It's my favorite, favorite time of the year. I'm not a big fan of the, the cold, but I love Christmas. And When I was about 11 years old, it was the first Christmas that I re- remember really asking for a present from my parents and hoping that I would get it. Before that, I was kind of in the stage that my children are right now at 7 and 4, which is they just ask and ask and ask, and they ask for so many things they don't even remember what they asked for, you know. And so before that, but uh, I was like that, but uh, 11 was really the first time that I remember saying to my mom and dad very clearly, I want this for Christmas, and then hoping that I would get it. And what I asked for was a stereo with a CD player. See, this is before people were, you know, really had CD players, or only like the wealthy had CD players, and by now they're kind of trickling down to my middle class family and, and down even in, uh, to, you know, where I could have one at 11 years old, and so I really, really wanted one. My friends were starting to get them at school, and and so I asked for it, and, and so, uh, you know, Christmas Eve came, and uh, normally I, I love the surprise, you know, I don't want to know, but I wanted that, and I was hoping for that stereo so bad that after my parents uh, went to bed, and I, I knew they were long in bed, uh, that I, I snuck out, and I actually opened up a bunch of my presents looking for my stereo, and I got it, and, and so I immediately was happy, and then I was like, oh no, what do I do now, you know, because I can't wrap presents like my mom, she's going to know, and so uh, anyway, I tried to wrap it and put it behind the tree, but, um, and so I ended up getting my stereo, but you know, it's a stereo without CDs is, is kind of pointless, and so uh, my parents actually picked out my first two CDs for me, and, and my parents are not like, you know, super like, musical, and I'm not sure they have even great taste, and so my, my first two CDs that I got along with my stereo player was the Bodyguard soundtrack, you know, the movie? <laughs> And, and U2, uh, a, a U2 CD, which is awesome, but as I've reflected on it, I'm like, how did my mom, because my dad is kind of the, uh, you know, hey, dad, thanks for the Christmas present. He's like, uh, what did we get you again? He's kind of one of those guys, and, and so my mom, you know, picked out U2, awesome, bodyguard, bodyguard soundtrack, also awesome, but that needs to be privately awesome. You're not allowed to admit that you, you like that CD. Like, how did she get that very eclectic group of CDs? You know, I don't think she has, like, real strong musical taste. And I think probably what happened is it was displayed right there next to the CD player. And she's like, oh, these, these, sound, these sound good, you know. Um, but uh, Christmas is a season of hope, isn't it? And it's easy to hope. It's hard to wait. 
It was easy for me to hope that I was going to get that CD player. It was easy. What was hard was waiting until Christmas morning to find out if I did. See, anybody can hope. It's just a natural human instinct. You don't have to be spiritual. You don't have to be a Jesus follower to hope. Every person on planet Earth knows what it feels like to hope. What's hard is to sustain your hope over time. What's hard is to hold on to your hope. See, God has made us a tremendous amount of promises in the Scripture. And some of us are waiting for those promises to be fulfilled or waiting for them to specifically be fulfilled in whatever situation you are currently in. And because He's made us these promises and we are His people, it means that we should hope for these promises. But waiting is the hard part. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to start in the Old Testament. We're going to lay a foundation so that then when we go to Luke chapter 2 to the Christmas story, I'm going to introduce you to some characters, some that you may be familiar with and, and, and others that may, we may not be familiar with them because they're kind of on the fringe of the Christmas story. But to, to lay a foundation so we can see hope in that story. So Psalm 62 is where we're going to start. Psalm 62, verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. So what we see here in Psalm 62, and I'm going to show you a few other places, is you see the connection between salvation and hope. Salvation and hope. For my hope is in Him, verse 5, verse 6. He alone is my rock and my salvation. And God rests my salvation, verse 7. Now I want you to turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 81. See it here again. Salvation and hope. My salvation long, my, my soul longs for your salvation I hope in your word. Now turn the page to Psalm 119, verse 166. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. Now, as you read the Psalms, if you started today and just started in Psalm 1 and read all the way through those hundreds of Psalms, what you would see is you would see a, a strong connection between hoping for salvation and asking for salvation. Hope and salvation. So this really became kind of a personal cry for the Israelites, but then it also became a national cry for them. It was a national anthem for them, hoping for salvation. Because what had happened in their history is they were the people of God, and God had given them His will, His plan, His system. He had promised to be their king. He had promised to look after them and protect them. But they got distracted by lots of other things. In fact, they stopped worshiping God. They started worshiping all these other gods, these false idols that their, their other surrounding nations worshipped. And, and so God would, would warn them and say, if you, if you don't do this, if you don't worship me and stop worshiping these idols, bad things are going to happen to you and, and there's going to be consequences for that and they didn't listen. And so eventually what happens is the Babylonians come from the south, the Assyrians come from the north, later on the Greeks come, the Romans come. So for half of the Old Testament, the people of God, they don't even get to rule themselves. Somebody else is always in charge of them. The Babylonians first, then the Assyrians, then the Greeks, and then the Romans. 
And so you can imagine, that's hard for us to imagine what that's like living in the United States of America, but just imagine if, if we were here and we were the United States of America, but there was some other country from around the world that was really in charge, and we had to pay our taxes to that country. We had to follow the rules of that country. We had to check in with that country. That country's leaders were actually our leaders. And so for half of the Old Testament, this is what the people of God are, are under, this kind of oppression. So what we see in the Psalms as a personal cry, I hope for your salvation, becomes the national cry. We hope for salvation. We hope for rescue from the Babylonians. We hope for rescue from the Assyrians. We hope for rescue from the Greeks and from the Romans. Eventually, God begins to send his prophets. His prophets begin to prophesy not only about salvation that was coming, but a Savior who was coming. So not just salvation in general, but a Savior specifically was going to come. And He was going to bring in a new day for God's people. And that's where the Christmas story starts. The Christmas story doesn't start with Mary and Joseph. It starts way back in the Old Testament with the people of God crying out and looking for rescue, looking for salvation, and looking for a Savior. And so what happens in Luke, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 is an angel comes to Mary and says, Mary... You're going to give birth to the Messiah, the Savior. She tells Joseph he's not convinced. An angel comes to Joseph and says, Mary's going to give birth to the Messiah, a Savior. And that's what happens in Bethlehem. You know the Christmas story. And then I want you to see Luke chapter 2, verse 22. This is what happens after Jesus, the Savior, is born. That Savior that God's people had been looking for, that salvation Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem, that's Jesus, and present him to the Lord. So Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to present him. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, and of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting prayer and uh, prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
So here we're uh, introduced to a situation. Two ceremonies are happening here with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. The first one is Mary and Joseph are presenting Jesus in the temple. This is what you did to the firstborn male of a mother. You dedicated them to God in the temple and you made an offering. You made a sacrifice. And so Mary and Joseph are doing that with Jesus. They're, they're offering a sacrifice on his behalf, dedicating him to God there in the temple of Jerusalem. They're also there for Mary because there was a time of purification. There was kind of a waiting time after a woman gave birth for about 40 days in this specific situation. And after 40 days, Mary and other mothers would go and they would go to the temple. They would make a sacrifice. It was kind of a, just a ceremonial purity after giving birth. And so they they're, they're just doing what they were supposed to do, and we're introduced to two people. We're first introduced to Simeon, and it says that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation, it means encouragement or comfort. What it's saying is Simeon was waiting on that salvation to come from God. He was waiting for that Savior, waiting for Israel to be pulled up out of the situation that they were in. And so he's been hoping for this his whole life. And he's a man who, this, he, he's so hoping for the consolation of Israel. This is the words that are used to describe him later on after he had passed away. We're also introduced to Anna. And Anna had been a widow either for 84 years or 77 years, depending on the original, of, uh, original use of the Greek language in the scripture. So she had been a widow for a very, very long time. And she came to the temple every single day to fast, to pray, and to worship. And these two, they had hopes. Anna was waiting on the redemption of Jerusalem. Another way of saying, uh, we're waiting on that salvation. We're hoping for the salvation of God to come on us. We're hoping uh, for a Savior. And Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So they were people who were hoping. They, and they show us today, what do we do while we're waiting for our hope to be fulfilled. Again, the hard part is not mustering up hope in your heart. That probably came very easily to you and comes very easily to you in different situations. I mean, you're probably hoping for a certain kind of Christmas present. You're hoping for a bonus at work this month. You're hoping for a raise. You're hoping for uh, a friend's situation to work out. We're hoping for a lot of things. The question is, can we hold on to our hope in Simeon and Anna They show us what to do while we wait for our hope to be fulfilled. Look at verse 25. Describing Simeon, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Now this word righteous, it means upright, but there's a special emphasis, uh, meaning that he was upright in his actions with other people. That he was upright and holy in the way that he dealt with people. Now that sounds like a very simple concept, but would anybody describe you or me as righteous in the way that we deal with people? No. I mean, for most of us, it would be like, they're fine, right? I mean, you know, how, how do they get along with people? They're fine, right? And fine is, it's a fine word. It's not a good word. It's like the word, I don't know what to say when it's, you know, gray, you know, fine. But they say about Simeon that he was righteous, Specifically righteous in the way that he interacted with people. See, it's hard to be righteous towards people. It's hard to treat people with kindness when we are waiting for our hope to be fulfilled. Why? Because we look around and it seems like everybody else is getting what we want. Or they are getting what they want and we are not getting what we want. And so what do we do? We've got to punish somebody for that. And it's easy while you're waiting for your hope to be fulfilled. If you wait long enough, it's easy to start being resentful towards other people. 
long time ago, I was interviewing for this job, and it was one of those jobs where you had to interview like four times with essentially the same group of people, and I wanted to say, like, if you didn't like me the first time, you're, like, you're not going to like me now. Like, I, I, you know, I'm not wine. I get worse with, you know, age, like the more you're around me. You know, I'm best, like, right out. You know, you put me in the freezer, I'm no good. You know, I'm like, right then, you got to... And so, but it was four interviews, and it was really complicated, but I really wanted this job. I was hoping for this job, and really excited about it, and then at the last minute, the very last minute, it didn't work out. It was totally crushing, and, and somebody in our family cried. I'm not going to tell you who, and, and uh, <laughs> this is devastated. I didn't get it, and so they didn't give it to me. They ended up giving it to this other guy, and this other guy was awesome, and I heard so many great things about him, but I had never met him, and... and uh, and, you know, it was fine. I'd never seen this guy. I'd never met him before. Heard good things, but just never, never was around him. And then it was like, you know, you ever think God is playing a joke on you? Because what happened is I'd never seen this guy in my life. I'd never been around him. And now he's like suddenly popping up everywhere that I go. And now we're in these awkward moments where there's like a group of seven and he's there. And I know that he got the job that I wanted, but he doesn't know that I was the guy before him. And it's awkward. And And, you know, you endure that. And then, like, two weeks later, there he is again. It was like the universe wanted us to be best friends all of a sudden. You know, I mean, it was hard because I wanted to resent him. You know, why? Because he got what I wanted. There's so many people that we have resentment built up for, not because they did anything wrong, but because we we just couldn't hold on to our hope. And we didn't treat treat people according to righteousness. We We treat them according... To that resentment. But when you see resentment or envy or jealousy pop up, you can know that you've lost your hope. That's a sign for us that you have lost your hope. When you are, find yourself jealous, resentful of people, your hope has completely slipped away. See, hope gives us this God inspired positivity. You know, some of us are not positive people by nature, and I understand that. And if you're like that, then you see the glass is not just half empty, but like mostly empty, right? And then you throw the glass down on the, the ground, you know I mean? And so some of us are not naturally positive, but if you are a part of the people of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a person of hope, and that hope should give you positivity. You should be one of the most positive people at work. You should be one of the most positive people on your street. Why? Because... You have a God-inspired hope. But when resentment comes in, that hope and that positivity stops go, that starts slipping away. It starts moving away. And how we treat people ends up being a window into our soul. But Simeon, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was hoping for that redemption to come, but he was righteous in the way that he treated people. Then look what it says next about him. He was righteous, verse 25, and devout. So if righteous was how he acted towards people, devout is how he acted towards God. So this man was righteous towards people and righteous towards God. It doesn't mean that he was perfect, but he lived an upright life. He lived a committed life. You know, for many of us, you have hoped for something in the past, and it didn't It didn't come through, and bitterness ended up taking the place of hope. And who are you going to be bitter at when things don't work out in a cosmic way? When things that you prayed for, and things that you longed for, and things that you hoped for, when they don't work out, who is that bitterness going to be aimed towards? It ends up being aimed towards God. And I meet 
a tremendous amount of Christians, Jesus followers, who carry a grudge against God, who carry a tremendous amount of disappointment with God because I prayed and I, I went to church and I tried to live right and I tried to do right and, and it just didn't happen for me. The thing that I was hoping for, it, it didn't come through and that bitterness aimed towards God ends up replacing what was once hope. And the sad thing about being bitter towards God is any time a new seed of faith starts to spring up in your heart, you just come into a, just a, just to get a fresh, just a fresh taste of, of, of hunger for God. You know, just that desire may come over you. You're at home and you normally watch TV, but it's, man, man, I think I should, I think I should come to the scripture. I haven't been to church in a while. Man, I think I should, should come back. When that happens, when that new seed starts to pop up, what happens? If you, if you carry bitterness towards God, that bitterness comes and chokes out that new seed. It says, you can't trust God. Why invest in that way? Remember what, what happened? But if you carry a grudge against God, if you carry that bitterness against God, you just will get stuck in that cul-de-sac of God coming and opening your heart, but bitterness choking it out, and bitterness replacing hope. And you'll find yourself just never having any real hope that's of any meaning. Sure, you may hope or whatever Christmas present you're asking for, but real hope, the kind of hope that matters, the kind of hope that wakes you up in the morning, won't be present in your life because that bitterness will come and tempt you out of staying in that place. But Simeon, he was devout. He was committed to God. He was righteous in his action to God. And look what else it says about him in verse 25. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see, the death, see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And look what it says again. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. So three times in three verses, Simeon is described as a man uh, who had a relationship with the Holy Spirit. See, hope that is not infused with the Spirit of God will not last. Hope that is not empowered by the Spirit of God will not last. Now, just to rewind so we're all on the same page. We believe in one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God in three distinct persons. It's hard to wrap our minds around, but that's what the Scripture reveals. So we're not worshiping three gods today. We're worshiping one God who's revealed Himself in three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is described to us in the Scripture as a gift that Jesus left for us and left for his followers when he ascended into heaven. Now, Christmas is coming. How many of you have specifically made a request for a gift? Lift it up to your wife, to your mom, your dad, whatever. Now, listen, I'm going to recommend giving a list. You've got to try to give it in a nice way and not a demanding way. But it's, it's amazing when you get the things that actually fit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when you get things that you will actually use. You know, uh, when I was a kid, we would go to Walmart to buy my dad tools because my dad is a tool guy, and so that was, we just always loved getting my dad's dad tools, because that was the Christmas present that made him smile uh, with his teeth. Uh, other Christmas presents made him smile with just his mouth, like, mm, you know. <laughs> but, when you, but when you got him a present, a tool, he smiled with his teeth, like he was really genuinely happy, and so we always liked to give him tools. 
because that's what made her happy. Well, we would go to Walmart, and my mom doesn't know very much about tools, and, you know, I was seven, so we would just, like, randomly pick him out stuff, you know. So, like, one Christmas, I remember distinctly buying him a funnel, or not, you know, like, you know, you know what I mean, like, for the oil and stuff. Now, the man has a million of those, but I, I got him another one. And so, you know, that's why you make a list, and then you make a list, you make a request, you, you hope for it, and then you, you're hoping to unwrap it, and when that person gives you that gift, what does it say? They say, you know, I love you, you mean something to me. I mean, think about who you buy presents for. You buy presents for, um, you know, your family. You buy presents uh, for your friends. You buy presents for your pastor. I mean, um, did I say that out loud? But, But you leave a present. You give a present to those that you love and those that you care about. And the scripture says that Jesus left you a present. So he's not here in the flesh with us. He was crucified, he was resurrected, and and he ascended. But he said, I'm going, but I'm going to give you a gift. Jesus said, the gift that I'm leaving you is even better than if I were here with you. And so the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is a necessary part of being a follower of Jesus. You ever come to that moment in your, in your faith where it's like you're doing everything right but something is missing? You know? You're coming to church. You're trying to be godly. You're, you're trying to read the Bible. You're doing all that thing, all those things, but man, just something is missing. Amanda and I celebrated our 10th anniversary last year and we went to the, the sea, beach, ocean place and uh, we got on a I'm, not, I'm a mountain guy and so you know we went to the water and uh, we were going on this little boat cruise it was one of those boats that have the two big things and then the net in the middle you know what I'm talking about and you get to kind of lay on the net and the water splashes up. It's a pretty cool experience. And so we, we get on the boat and we're laying down on the net and, and they start kind of pulling out from the dock, from the pier. And, and then we start heading out, but we're going real slow and, and you can kind of feel the engine, but you know the engine's not big enough to, to push the whole boat. And then we get out probably 100 or 200 yards out from the pier and the crew comes kind of out into the middle and they start hoisting up the sail. And they hoisted out the sail. And I'd never been on a boat like that. But it was very windy where we were. And as soon as they hoisted out the sail, man, the boat took off. Well, in the scripture in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking about those who are born uh, again. And he said those who are born again are born of the Spirit. And the Spirit, this is how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. The word Spirit actually in the scripture is the Greek word pneuma, which is another word for saying breath. See, some of us, we get to that moment where it's like, I'm doing everything right. I, I read my Bible. I'm, I try to be godly. I'm not perfect, but I try hard. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to church and I'm trying to use my gifts to serve people. And I'm doing everything, but something is missing. There's a hunger in me that can't be satisfied. Well, let me tell you what's happening. You're trying to push a boat with oars or a motor that's too small. See, your willpower, your spiritual willpower is not enough for you to be who God has created you to be. And most of us, if you've been around church at all, and if you have faith in Jesus, you have heard of the Holy Spirit. And you're like, yeah, I believe in that. Maybe I don't understand it, but I believe in that. But for most of us, it's like, there goes the wind. 
Now get your oars and let's paddle. Man, it'd be incredible if we could figure out a way to harness that wind. But man, when the wind takes you someplace, you don't know where you're going and you don't know where you're coming from. The oars and the small, tiny motor of our willpower feels a lot safer. But if you've come to that moment in your faith where you are missing something, it's time for you to hoist your sail up and catch the wind of the Spirit of God. Like, well, how do I do that? Let me tell you the only way that I know is you find a dark place and you go into it and you close the door and you get down on your face and you ask God to give you every ounce of the Holy Spirit that He is willing to give you. You tell Him in whatever way you can, I want to lift up my sail. I need the Spirit of God. Why? Because we want to be people like Simeon, a man who thousands of years later is remembered as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was on him. He came into the temple in the Spirit. And let me tell you about people that you meet who are filled with the Spirit of God. They are the most optimistic, hopeful people on planet Earth. I've never met somebody who I would describe as being full of the Holy Spirit like Simeon, who was down, who spent most of their time most of their soul's energy being depressed and downcast because the spirit of God blows where he goes and he brings hope with him because he is God then look up Anna verse 36 and there was a prophetess Anna she was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84 she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day Now, if anybody could have given up hope, if anybody who could have could have descended into a life of bitterness and resentment, it could have been Anna married as a young woman, only married seven years and her husband passes away. And for the rest of her very, very long life, she just lives as a widow. But what does she do in that time? She was committed to the house of God. Daily, she went to the temple. Now, the temple didn't ask you to come that often. There were a few holidays that you were demanded and required by law to go. If you specifically had an important moment of worship, you could go. If you just wanted to be with the people of God, you could go. But Anna, she had an unusual commitment to God's house. And it was in God's house that her hope of the redemption of Jerusalem, the redemption of Israel, the salvation of Israel was fulfilled. So this is our uh, first time to be in this room as a church, as an official uh, church. Uh, and this room houses a, a, lot of, a lot of different things. It houses receptions. It houses weddings. It houses uh, brunch. Anybody been in this room for some other purpose? Uh, so, yeah, okay, so you've been in here, so you know uh, that it was different than what we're doing right now. Uh, it houses a lot of different things, uh, but on Sundays, it becomes, uh, spiritually, it becomes the house of God. Because after Jesus uh, ascended, uh, the transition happened from the temple, the house of God being in one place, to it being in every place where uh, people gather in Jesus' name. And you may have come today as a guest, and we're so glad that you did. Your friends invited you, your family invited you, somebody paid you to get here. That's fantastic. I'm so glad that they did. 
I don't care how you got into the room. I'm just glad that you did. Uh, but you're probably here as a guest today. Um, but what about if you came next week, not as a guest, but as somebody like Hannah? Not as just somebody who's seeking, but as somebody who's found something. Not as just somebody who came to receive, but somebody who came to build. See, this is a little infant. I mean, this is just our birth day. It's not even our birthday. It's our birth day. We have no idea what we're doing out here. If it looks smooth, it's just because we're good at putting on masks. We need people to come alongside of us and build the house of God in this place so that the people of God can gather and so that people in our community can come and experience the grace and love of God. Because it's with a commitment to the house of God that Anna's hopes were fulfilled. And you never know what you would forfeit in your life by not being committed to church. And it's easy to know what we're missing out on right now. We're missing out on sleeping in. We're missing out on the TV. We're missing out on pajamas. Those are all the things that you'd be doing if you weren't doing this right now. But what if you don't come back next week? What if you don't come back the week after that? Who knows what you're missing? Because it was in the house of God that Anna's fulfillment of her hope happened. Then look what it says about Simeon when Jesus walks in. Verse 28, And he took him up in his arms and blessed God. That phrase, took him up, it means to grasp. See, there will be a day, I believe, where you take up and grasp what God has promised you. You may be in the waiting right now, waiting for your hopes to be filled, waiting for your prayers to be answered. But there will be a day when what God has promised you will be fulfilled. And until then, we're going to be righteous people towards others. We're going to be devout in our relationship with God. We're going to be people who are filled with the Spirit of God. And we're going to be people who are committed to the house of God. And when those things happen, we won't have any problem sustaining long-term hope. Bitterness, resentment, those will be words that are used to describe other people and not the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you would teach us to hope in this Christmas season. And Lord, I pray for anybody who has lost hope today. I pray that you would restore it. Why don't you take just a second, just the private of, privacy of your own thoughts and your own heart. Is there any resentment in you towards somebody? It means you've lost your hope. Is there any bitterness in you towards God? Are you carrying a grudge against God because of what he did or maybe what he didn't do? Could you just ask for the wind of the Spirit to blow a fresh new work of hope into those dead and dying places?
Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? We're going to finish as we do every week at Bayou City Fellowship. Our prayer ministry team is going to come forward up here uh, in the front and around the sides. And so if that team would come and take their places up here in front. We do this every week at the end of our church because Jesus said that God's house is a house of prayer. And so we don't want to build a house that is not a house of prayer. And so if you're sick, we want to pray for you. If you, um, if you have lost your hope, and you want a fresh grasp on it, then I think there's power in this room today for some new hope to be born again in your soul. So as we worship, you come and pray. One of my favorite things about Simeon is that Simeon is is described as righteous, and he is described as devout, and yet he was looking for a savior. I don't know what kind of person you are. You may be a very righteous and devout person, but you still need a savior. You may be a sinner. You need a Savior. You may be somewhere in between. You need a Savior. And that's what Christmas is. It's the birth of a Savior. And so if God has stirred in your heart today, maybe over a long process of revealing himself to you, and you're ready to give yourself to Jesus, and you're ready to receive and to grasp on and hold up that Savior just the way that Simeon did, then we're going to pray right now. And so I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And we're all going to pray out loud. And if you've already received Jesus, you've already become a Christian, you remember back to the moment that that became true uh, for you as we all pray this together. But if you're ready to receive Jesus right now, you pray this. God promises to hear your prayer. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the Savior. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you. Give me hope. Give me eternal life. Give me the Spirit of God. The Scripture says if you pray that, that God heard your prayer, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As everyone else comes to pray, you come and let one of these folks know. They'll tell you their story about when they became a Christian as well, and we can celebrate together. Father, answer these prayers according to the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name.